0: What up, everyone? Welcome back to another devlog. This is Jeremy Gage talking to you live. In the last devlog was a little PSA about how you shouldn't be so hard on yourself, ultimately. In this devlog, I am upset. Uh, as always, you can follow me at JeremyGage5 over on Twitter. Listen to the Draw Your Dice podcast. Listen to Slice and Dice interviews. Slice and Dice. <laughs> Uh, and check those out. But I'm mad today. Why? Because originally when I was going to get on here, I am still going to talk about the thing I was going to talk about today. But I just got out of our test call in the Table Talk call-in show with Adam Bell, uh, which you should definitely sign up for and call in for and get prepared because it's a good time. I had a blast. But uh, Matt Fennell was on as our last caller for the show, and fucking gave me the idea to use, like, chessboard slash chess game concepts in a tactical game. And it makes me sick to my stomach because it's a really good idea. So, I don't know. I'm gonna have to play around with that and see what pumps out. And then, secondly, right before I started doing this, in the brain trust, Nevin Holmes started talking about sphere grid class skill systems or maybe it was floating chair that started that conversation. Well those two things happened I I tried. I peeked in and it fucking blew my mind. Put a little Nevin put a little graphic in there and it just made me go bonkers. Uh, so now I'm gonna have to also think about that. Stop prolonging my game with good ideas. It upsets me. Aside aside from that, let's get into what I want to talk about today, about Kaleidoscope and what I've been fiddling with over the last dry spell of writing. So, you know, I grabbed some idea fruits, I juiced those fruits, and now I'm tasting the juice. Uh, hashtag taste the juice when you have a good idea. Let's start that. Let's start that in the tabletop RPG Twitter trend. Hashtag taste the juice. I taste the juice. Uh, could be misconstrued. I don't care. So I'm looking through my conceptual work here and Brendan, let me look it up real quick. Brendan Petit. No, that, that may not be right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I put out something on Twitter about day-night cycles and something like that and how it affects the world and the magic. Uh, Brendan Pretty? Pretty? Over on Twitter. uh, At Moogulord. Over on Twitter. M-U-G-U-L-O-R-D. Gave a really nice idea about how... Day and night cycle should change abilities, not give them modifiers, which modifiers wasn't really the direction I was going with when I initially concepted. But it's good to have that pointed out um, in that in that concept. So instead of having there's a potential for, okay, full stop explanation. In the game, because it is technically based, I have abilities, and those abilities currently are called techniques, though the word feels a little clumsy in my mouth as I say it out loud for such like a fantastical game. I know I know other games use abilities and feats and skills or whatever. I don't know, techniques just feels long right now, but maybe it is what it is. But in the game you have techniques, each uh, techniques are categorized by the affinity you use. Ah yes, I also changed the affinities. I changed them from uh, more elemental based to more like conceptual elemental spaces. So for example, going from Ember, Rhyme, Terra, uh, Umbral, Astral, into kind of the stages of the sun, because the in the setting, the game is based on the mutative qualities that the current cosmic phenomena happening above our planet is causing in the world, and it's all light-based stuff. So I was thinking about the different colors that the sky takes on at different points in the day. So you have dawn, sky, earth, ocean, and dusk, and those have, like, these kind of... Uh, not immediately recognizable connectional colors. Like, for for example, ocean chroma is the color of coral because it's like the color of a beach sunset. It's not blue. Whereas azure chroma is, uh, or excuse me, sky chroma is azure blue uh, in this case. So anyways, I have techniques filling around and uh, techniques are made up of couple of things they have a name and they have a little action line under them you know it might say something like dash and it might be something like stay on your toes and then they have a rarity so in the game I wanted to have character creation kind of feel like deck building over the course of the game And the way I am currently doing that is through rarity. So techniques are broken up into common, uncommon, rare, and mythic. Haha, that's the same rarities as Magic the Gathering. And you have a particular uh, set of the same linked slots. So in current iteration, a character will have three common slots, two uncommon slots, and one rare slot, and as you progress through the game, you can change those slots, upgrade them. I think the final at current looks like two commons, two uncommons, two rares, and a mythic, so you're totaling at seven slots. And they are also made up of ranges, so they have either a range of like zero, one, two, or three, That denotes the number of tiles away you can affect someone. Or those also, those same numbers correlate to close, near, far, and very far, which can get fiddly, but it's for what I'm about to bring up. And then tempo, which is my initiative system for the game, where it has first through sixth tempo that determines the initiative order, sort of taking on the stack from... magic the gathering adam Vass reached out to me and also pointed out troika's uh, initiative system where you have a number of tokens that represent the players and then number of tokens that represent enemies and then sort of a round is over token i found like a deck of cards variant that did something similar with like jokers and face cards and stuff like that and basically the idea is that it's always random turn order you reach into the bag you pull out the token the token signifies whose turn it is uh, and then you, when you execute your turn, uh, you can put the token back into the bag. So some players may get three turns in a row. Some players may get no uh, turns during a round, etc., etc. et cetera. And uh, the GM picks which monster would make sense or creature adversary would make sense in the moment. In addition, uh, b- uh, on that, uh, I'm fiddling with it. It might be a little too random for what I am going for in this current iteration but my point of bringing that up is that I really do appreciate when I say I don't know anything about games and what I mean by that is like my extensive library is like mostly brain trust (laughs) books and anything that I found really cool to spend money on so and then whatever I can access on the trove when someone talks about it But I don't know everything, and I really appreciate Adam reaching out to me and kind of touching base about that game, because I had totally forgotten about Troika's initiative system, which I do love. Uh, It might be something that I use for the DMC game uh, whenever I get back to that. But uh, techniques are also made up of tempo, which is their initiative order. There's also minus tempo, which acts as like a reaction action uh, where you can use it anywhere in the turn order, but it has a specific conditional trigger. Then there's areas of effect. So these are things like single, self, ally, cleave, where you can split the damage evenly amongst targets in a line, in an arc, in a block, which is a quadrant on the grid, a cross, etc., a wall, which is a perpendicular line to you. And then they have an affinity type. So you might have something like lightning bolt, which will have, which will be under sky affinity. So you would roll your sky affinity, and then uh, you would roll your. Chroma dice, which determines its cost, and you have to pull that much energy from the atmosphere to use your ability. And then uh, every technique has a range of three effects, and they are determined by the number of successes you roll on your move. So, for example, if I scroll down here, I currently have a move called Blaze. Uh, and Blaze says Raging Inferno, and it does, you know, pr- uh, harm equal to whatever you rolled on the chroma dice. If you roll two, that's on one success. If you roll two successes, it does twice that damage, and if it does three successes, it's three times that damage, and you get to cleave, which means you get to pick the targets that it affects. In most cases, it affects a whole tile, so it has friendly fire capabilities in it. Um... So, getting into the day and night thing, now that you have context for what a technique is, that's what techniques look like at night or during a lunar cycle. It just takes on this much more uh, mission-structured ability, but I think abilities will also have a flip day side, where it's more like social exploring abilities as well. So, what I don't want to do is limit the player and their choices between day and night cycles because at the same time that you're fighting out in the wilderness, you will also be discovering more about the world and you need to interact with both those things at the same time. But the idea is like that you build your combat it's like when you're designing a deck and you're trying to figure you only have so much space you're trying to figure out okay what cards go in for the best strategy etc etc so you might pick blaze and on the back side it might have haste you can run really fast or something like that uh but that doesn't allow you to get like a different skill which is on the back of a different technique or whatever so it's sort of like this reversible ability thing. And I know I'm not like the first to do this. I think I've seen it in some cases in other games where it kind of flip-flops between like a narrative and a tactical move depending on a condition or something like that. But that's the current day-night cycle iteration. i also playing with day-night cycles in terms of like when you do things narratively in the game. So in Kaleidoscope, also fun thing. I have named something in the game, Kaleidoscopes. Uh, The whole premise of the game is that you are harvesters of kaleidoscopes, which are giant crystals that capture chroma light uh, and it kind of refracts and bounces around inside of it and is contained. And your job as soul are to go out and harvest these things for normal people so you can bring them back to your settlement and upgrade your city. And I thought that was cool. So you go out and hunt kaleidoscopes. It's now in the name. Um, But the other thing I was playing with for day and night cycles is that at night, it is easier to see both kaleidoscopes and threats in the dark because all of the... um, Enemies sort of have this, enemies, adversaries, uh, specifically the behemoths or creatures in in the setting kind of give off this phosphorus glow. So it's safer actually to travel at night than it is to travel during the day. In the game, at current, I don't want to limit you to just doing night missions. You can go out during the day because it's when you charge your chroma energy. It's when you basically are giant solar cells. Everything is giant solar cells in this game. The behemoths are also charging, but not all behemoths spent their energy at night. And they are more easily hidden inside the bright colors of the setting. So daytime is a bit more dangerous when it comes to travel. So usually daytime is when you would take on downtime actions, work on your settlements, make connections with other nations and regions, and go from there. So that's the day and night stuff. And then... What else was I playing with? If I go back to my files and I changed affinities. Uh, A lot of the game is taking a lot of derivatives from Iron Sworn and Band of Blades at current. One of the things that I think is really cool about the setting is that, so when you go out and harvest these kaleidoscopes, essentially what you're doing is that you are... Taking on the energy that is inside of the kaleidoscope into yourself, and then you are acting as the container to bring that back to the settlement. That is also potentially dangerous because the human body, without training, can only take on so much chroma. So, in Band of Blades, there's a concept of corruption and blight where as you uh, deal with the undead, whenever they hurt you, you take on corruption stacks and those things are not curable in the game uh, unless you make it up. And then if you take on enough corruption, you gain a blight. And when you take on enough blights, your character is done. I like that because it's sort of different from harm. I feel like harm is this thing that you can kind of heal up uh, over time, but I think there's something a little bit more permanent about absorbing this energy in your body. So I came up with saturation and burns. So as you are out and you are exposed to high concentration of chroma, you gain stacks of saturation. This includes friendly fire from enemies. This includes when you absorb uh, chroma to gain experience or access new techniques. And then uh, when you've reached a certain saturation threshold, you gain a burn, like like a sunburn or something like that. Sort of like the concept. And there are four degrees of burns. First, first degree burns do some sort of thing to you, physiology, ph- physio, physically not physiology, but change your physiology in some way too. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I like the feel of that I can see the amount. Ima- it, it like lets players kind of dance on that line because the burns also give you access to like one rank higher in that affinity, or it gives you access to sort of like turning into this elemental avatar, which is really cool. However, it's dangerous for the people of your settlement. So it's still something you have to hide or, or be wary of, of who you share it with, because not everyone is chill with you becoming an il- elemental in the middle of their city. So uh, as you play the game, you take on saturation, you kind of balance your degrees of burn, and the only way to get rid of burn is to purge yourself of chroma. And how you do that is that you have to sacrifice a technique that you've learned or gained throughout the game that is of the same rank as the degree of burn that you want to get rid of. So if you want to get rid of a second degree burn, you have to sacrifice an uncommon technique. Uh, That isn't without its benefit. When you purge yourself, you give it to your, your settlement as well. So it might have like a little bit of an extra bonus when you do that. Uh, But if you lose your burn, you lose access to, like, unique abilities. So it's just kind of like this give and take of, like, what it's like an altruistic approach to progressing. Because purging is also the way that you gain higher slots, uh, higher um, deck slots in your arsenal. So if you were to purge a common slot, with a first degree burn, you will upgrade that into an uncommon slot. And if you take on a third degree burn and you sacrifice a rare technique, you will gain, uh, you'll be able to upgrade that to a mythic slot. And so basically it's tying in this concept of giving you the opportunity to change your deck around as well. Because once you slot in a technique, it's permanent until otherwise. And you can, uh, I have the option in the game that you sort of like can bag Techniques like you can be like, oh, keep that in the back of your mind. And then when you finally have a slot open, you can be like, oh yeah, I remember this thing that I can fit here, I will put it in my deck, right? So uh, the last thing I think is important to say about techniques is that techniques are found at random. So once I get all the techniques listed, I'm gonna have this table under each set of chroma. And when you go to a kaleidoscope and gain large amounts of chroma at one time, you're gonna roll on a table And then you can see what you roll. If you already have the technique, it'll just turn into extra saturation, but also extra uh, chroma you can give to your civilization. And if it's a new technique, you can keep that in the back of your mind. You still take on that saturation, but you can write down what that saturation taught you. And so it's kind of like opening a booster pack is what I akin it to, like you finally find the kaleidoscope, you open the booster pack of techniques, you're like, oh, I already have this common, I have this common, ooh, look at this rare that I have. Uh, I can't wait to add that to my deck. You can go home, you can purge yourself of your current Chroma, uh, kind of giving yourself a soft reset on character, which gives you kind of this everlasting loop of growth. There is like a maximum amount of slots you can have, and there is a maximum your nation can reach based on the rules written. But, you know, if you want to keep going, you go indefinitely. It does take a decent amount of chroma, and it's just kind of adding these video game concepts to tabletop because, you know, video game RPGs were heavily inspired from tabletop RPGs from the get-go, and now they found their own foothold and medium. And so I wanted to... Uh, take back on those things. Those are my influences. My big influences are video games and and anime and film and stuff like that. Uh, I don't play a lot of board games. I don't have a lot of exposure to board games. Um, So I I need to take from what I know about. I can always do research, but you know, it's hard to play board games in our current predicament. So yeah, that's techniques in a nutshell. I feel like I was kind of a little bit all over the place, but I hope I gave some, like, setting things that you liked, and I kind of like saturation and burns. Um, And, yeah. As always, I'm Jeremy Gage. You can hang out with me over on Twitter, at JeremyGage5. Call in to the call-in show every Sunday at 4 p.m. EST over on Twitch with Adam Ebell. That's cool. Uh... I think I, I think I want to do, like, some shout-outs uh, at the end of these. So I guess someone you should check out, if you haven't, is Spencer Campbell, Cam- Campbell uh, at G- Gila RPGs. That's G-I-L-A RPGs. And me and him are really... <laughs> something I'll talk about in another devlog, but we are really getting into the concept of, like, live tabletop games, kind of taking the premise from MMORPGs in the video game space and being like, okay, what if we just made a tabletop game that is ever-evolving? Like, instead of calling it a second edition, just calling it a live game and never going to print, or, like, printing a deluxe edition or something like that. And... Um, just, just really doing like hot fixes, patch updates, expansions that live in its own digital ecosystem. Me and Spencer are going to do like a Psych of RPG thing in the future. I'm going to do another devlog about it and talk about it. It's fucking, it's hyping me up. I'm getting mega hype about it. And, uh, it's definitely a direction I was already sort of going with Kaleidoscope. It just helps inform my affinity publisher settings at, at this stage. So that's good. Um, but anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Go check out Spencer. Go to the Colin Show. Nevin Holmes makes great games. Adam Vass has great ideas. Who else did I say? Floating Chair is an amazing publisher and distributor who really wants to do some great things for the tabletop industry as far as innovation and degreening are concerned. And thanks to everyone that supports the show. And thank you to everyone that gives me ideas that is willing to talk to me about them. So have a great day, and I will see you next time. Bye.